0: <clears throat> uh... Come on. Okay. The Industrial Revolution to me is just like a story I know called The Puppy Who Lost His Way. The world was changing, and the puppy was getting bigger. So you see, the puppy was like industry in that they were both lost in the woods, and nobody, especially the little boy, society, knew where to find them. except that the puppy was a dog. But the industry, my friends, that was a revolution. Nipi football rules! Mr. Madison, what you've just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Okay, a simple wrong would have done just fine.
1: Welcome to When We Were Young podcast, (laughs) the podcast that is good-natured and sweet deep down, but has a tendency to be filled with rage. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Thank you,
3: Cookie Monster.
1: (laughs) I'm Becky, and I'm the podcast host who knows you ain't cool unless you pee your pants.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I'm Seth, the host most likely to de la hoo-hoo, sabadoo, and galo.
2: Wow. (laughs) And I'm Chris, the podcast host who would rather bone 1974 Jack Nicholson than Meg Ryan now. Just kidding, we're all that podcast host. (laughs) So, I am the host most likely to get a job at Banana Republic with the rest of those sluts.
1: (laughs) This is the third and final installment of our trilogy of episodes, Saturday Night Leavers, Celluloid Manchildren of 90s Cinema.
3: Has it only been three? The title, it's just like, it's a haiku. It's so just poetic, rhythmic.
1: In our previous episodes, we looked at the post-SNL films of Mike Myers and Chris Farley and revisited some of their most memorable sketches from their time on the long-running sketch show. Some of us thought Mike Myers was better with his love of committing to his fully developed characters, but others thought Chris Farley was better. He does pratfalls <laughs> and uses his physicality to heighten every scene he's in. Do you want Becky? and today we'll be spending time with adam sandler also known as cajun man also known as opera man also known as canteen boy also known as billy madison happy gilmore and the wedding singer the latter three the very movies we'll be discussing in this episode so get ready for a celebration of agitation and the voice of a generation
2: (laughs) that's a tough sell for me
1: Back in the DeLorean A
0: Saturday morning cause we both be cynical of-
1: So let's learn about adam sandler adam richard sandler was born september 9th 1966 in brooklyn new york to judy a nursery school teacher and stanley an electrical engineer he has three siblings none of whom work in the entertainment industry at age six his family moved to new hampshire at age 17 he began performing in comedy clubs at the behest of his brother who also was the one who told him that he should become an actor smart brother yeah. Quote uh, Sandler. I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. So I asked my brother what I should major in. He said acting and that's how it started. So Adam graduated from NYU's Tisch School of the Arts. He then moved to Los Angeles to pursue comedy and he shared an apartment in the valley with Judd Apatow. Judd and Adam did an interview together years later where Judd revealed that Adam slept on a mattress with no sheets, drove a rental car <laughs> for years and filled it with trash and McDonald's. The two would often fight about who was the more handsome, and most women thought that Sandler was. (laughs) There's a little bit of early Sandler stand-up I found online, which is very strange to see him almost like not totally confident. Like he seems a little awkward on stage. Um, He has said that he began to use a guitar on stage as a security blanket during his performances because he felt anxious. While pursuing comedy, he did four episodes of The Cosby Show. He said of um, his early ambition in his youth that he wanted everything Eddie Murphy had. He wanted to be on SNL and he wanted movie fandom. Check,
2: check. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> he was eventually discovered by Dennis Miller, who saw him perform in Los Angeles and recommended him to Lorne Michaels. He was hired by Saturday Night Live as a writer only in 1990, but became a featured player the following year. He made a name for himself on the show, performing original songs like The Hanukkah Song, The lunch lady land and he had his characters on weekend update like cajun man and opera man he was a cast member on saturday night live from 1990 when he was 23 years old to 1995 when he was fired from the show not by lorne but by nbc execs who didn't think he was funny 24 years later in 2019 he would go back to host the show and get an emmy nomination for it was
2: that the first time he hosted Mm-hmm. oh wow
1: His first appearance on Saturday Night Live as a featured player was February 9th, 1991. He appeared in two sketches. One, he didn't have any dialogue. And the other one was cut for all repeat episodes. (laughs) (laughs) The following week, he debuted his Iraqi Pete character. (laughs) Yeah. And the following season, he debuted his Opera Man character.
2: More successful.
1: The Thanksgiving song was Sandler's debut single as a recording artist. It was released in 1996. This is the one that was released as a single and became a number 29 hit on the U.S. Billboard Alternative Airplay chart and a number 40 hit on the U.S. Billboard Adult Top 40 chart. So he truly charted with the Thanksgiving song. He charted hard. The next song he debuted was the Hanukkah song, and it was popular enough to hit the Billboard Hot 100 at 80 It also climbed as high as number 25 on the U.S. Billboard Alternate Airplay chart. As a single, it was Sandler's most successful. It became certified gold, and he debuted it on Weekend Update on Saturday Night Live. So while he was on Saturday Night Live and after, he released comedy albums. He released five of them, including 1993's They're All Gonna Laugh at You, 96's What the Hell Happened to Me, and 97's What's Your Name. As of 2023, Adam Sandler has appeared in over 70 movies, his Hollywood movies he stars in and has produced have grossed over $2 billion worldwide. He has an estimated net worth of over $420 million. He has been nominated for three Grammy Awards, five Primetime Emmy Awards, a Golden Globe, a Screen Actors Guild Award, and he won the Independent Spirit Award for Best Male Lead for his work in Uncut Gems. In 2023, Sandler was awarded the Mark Twain Prize for American Humor. But no Oscars. <laughs> Not yet.
3: Not quite an EGOT nominee yet
1: he got a lot there though
2: he's got a lot though <laughs> well he's notably been snubbed he was maybe like the sixth or seventh like possibility like at least once
1: probably for uncut gems but i think even at punch drunk love he must punch have gotten some time mm-hmm. yeah.
2: hustle there was a lot of um buzz for him there so i feel like he's been on the periphery of the oscars a lot but never invited to the big show <laughs> at least not as a nominee
1: So now that we all know who Adam Sandler is, (laughs) what is your personal history with Adam Sandler on Saturday Night Live and his movies? Were you a fan? Are you a fan?
2: So Sandler broke into the mainstream a little bit later than these other two guys that we've been talking about, Mike Myers and Chris Farley. So he kind of peaked at the exact right moment for these movies to be cool to me and my friends. Whereas before, like a lot of the other movies, like I said in the previous episodes, were a little bit before my time. I was aware of them. Like I know people who were watching them and liking them, but they didn't find me at the right moment. And so I never like really connected with those movies, except for Austin Powers, as I said, which was a later movie for Mike Myers. Some of my best female friends at the time had a thing for Adam Sandler. He was their celebrity crush. I think he was like their number one celebrity crush, at least for a while. At least the one that they
3: would Wow, number about. one. Wow.
1: I can see a four or five, but a, a one?
3: I didn't get it, but that's okay. That is the one chart I did not expect him to top.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Nor did I, then or now. I mean, I, I don't know. I think it was just like a thing that they, like, it felt more like a, a bit that they were doing that they loved him. But they Well, did. but
1: also, like,
3: funny is sexy.
2: Right. And, uh, like, he was very approachable, like, personality. True.
1: Were they comparing him to Judd Apatow? Because... <laughs> <laughs> I think they
2: were not at the time. Yeah, I didn't get it in any way. But because of this, I saw Billy Madison and Happy Gilmore and The Wedding Singer and The Water Boy and Big Daddy, and Little (laughs) (laughs) Nicky. Those last three at least were in theaters, I remember. So I went with my friends to watch these movies. They were popular, you know, for teenagers.
1: I think most of them were PG-13, so, like, teenagers could go to them. Yes, exactly.
2: But they, yeah, they had a slight kind of edge to them at that age, where it's just, like, they were kind of raunchy, like, PG-13 raunchy, you know, not, Mm -hmm. like, something about Mary raunchy, but, like, the right kind of raunchy for, like, a 14 or 15-year-old. I pretended to like them, (laughs) I think, is how I would classify it. I think I fooled myself into thinking that I liked at least Happy Gilmore. (laughs) I did more enjoy The Wedding Singer at the time. It was more kind of my speed of movie but overall his appeal kind of dwindled as he kept doing the same shtick in a lot of comedies so it's like we are kind of talking about the early golden age I would say of his movies and then there was kind of a slump for a long time some might argue forever so I skipped all or nearly all of his comedy releases after that time around 2000 until present and you know I'm sure we'll get around to talking about more of his roles in other genres more dramatic roles but in general I have never and would never (laughs) consider myself and Adam Sandler Fan just because his brand of comedy is not necessarily mine. And in fact, I think I kind of resented the time I spent pretending to like him more than I did <laughs> because my friends were crushing on him. So that's kind of my relationship with him, at least as a comedian.
3: Well, okay. So I, I have at least a question. And I don't mean it to like push back. I'm just interested. When you say you pretended to like them, did you consciously do that? or Or could it have just been that these were movies that in that particular, time and at that particular age and with that particular company seeing those movies, like that was primed for you to enjoy it. In a way you might not have in any other scenario at any other point in your life when you had some good sense to you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean,
2: that's a that's a great question and I think I was even trying to kind of figure that out for myself a little bit. And in a way the answer is all of that. Uh... <laughs> because tonally, these movies are pretty similar to some of Mike Myers' movies and some of Chris Farley's movies, which I didn't care for very much when I first saw them slightly earlier than these. And I think it was actually that at this age, I was more prone to be like, yeah, I love this. Like, I I was more prone to, like, want to, like, fit in with people. To want to be a joiner. Yes. Okay.
3: Okay. And
2: when I was seeing these, it was slightly before I really found some of the movies that I actually did, like like comedies, you know, like Romy and Michelle. You know, so I was still like kind of figuring out where my tastes were with comedy. Like you're, you're transitioning from the sort of what the comedies you see as a kid, which are usually like PG rated. And like, as we've seen fairly often on this podcast, don't really hold up when you start getting more mature. You know, like they're very silly and goofy and often juvenile. And you want, you're craving something that's a little bit more adult oriented and yeah Yeah. like maybe has some like sexy jokes or swearing or you know whatever you think is like cool uh and adult at the time whatever's
3: edgy to you at like 12
2: (laughs) so i think like in the Context of where I was in like 1995 and six and going into like 97, maybe I did kind of enjoy these, but only as a dearth of other options that I had not yet discovered. And then once I saw other movies or even The Wedding Singer was more like, oh, this is the kind of movie that I like a little bit more. I could be more like, oh, I actually do like this. And I maybe didn't like Happy Go more as much as I kind of thought I did or said that I did just to kind of go along and, and be one of the Sandler fans that we apparently
3: all had to be at the time. So as I've said on the other episodes, I was a big fan of Saturday Night Live, basically from an embryonic stage, watched it on VHS, watched reruns of it all over cable TV, and this was very much one of my prime eras of SNL, watching as far as the cast at this kind of time period. I would enjoy Adam Sandler's shenanigans to an extent and just up to a point. And then it kind of stopped being funny and it became very apparent to me at the time that it was kind of, if not one note, then like variations of the same note. I think Chris, you were the one who brought up in our last episode that like he would often be breaking in sketches especially sketches with Chris Farley and like I said I love it when sketch performers break because just the moment is too funny and they're they're all you know wrapped up in how good each other's performances are but Sandler's breaking goes beyond that just to the point of like not being a particularly great comedic performer he just doesn't have that much range you know he's got kind of his bag of tricks. But at the same time, Chris, exactly like you laid out, Adam Sandler fanship felt kind of obligatory, especially once I got into the fourth to eighth grade age. Like the between that span of time, fourth and eighth grade or so, all of my male friends, and I would guess pretty much all of my friends who were girls, were all huge Sandler fans and were like quoting his movies. You know, when Waterboy came out because He plays a Cajun character in that. That was kind of a thing that in New Orleans, people were excited about. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting depiction of your culture in that. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) I found it funny even at the time because previous really bad movies that were set in and about New Orleans were rightly rejected. (laughs) I just feel like at the time, he was so unassailably loved by a particular segment of American society (laughs) that it was kind of impenetrable and he was unavoidable. But then again, it just kind of reached a certain point where his movies didn't have the same draw. Like, my friends wouldn't, like, ask me to go see you know, anything after, like, Waterboy I would say in the theaters. Um, And my relatives, like, all my family and relatives wouldn't be caught dead seeing an Adam Sandler movie. They even liked other raunchy comedies. They just really disliked his goofy voices and kind of general sense of childishness child likeness childishness childishness <laughs> it's childishness
2: i don't think my parents ever saw any of these movies either these were a very distinct and very early passage of like me having movies with my friends that my parents were not seeing or taking me to that were so, your own yes, yeah and maybe that's that true. accounts partially for why i considered myself a fan of happy go more even though it wasn't necessarily the contents of the film that overall that uh,
3: drew me in you know what that's that's a really great point actually that's how clerks was for me and it's kind of like the kind of movie that you discover specifically through your friends never through your family
1: so this era of saturday night live is like my era i would say it's when i started watching the show and became obsessed with it i think it had less to do with how funny or not funny, the sketches were, or the performers were, and just the fact that this is the age where the show came into my awareness, and it just, like, these were the people that were on it, so these were the people right. that...
2: that you associated with Yeah. Every oh. generation gets the SNL cast they deserve. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not the one they want, but the one they deserve. I
1: could do worse. <laughs> than Only than God <laughs>
3: decides. God meeting Lorne Michaels.
1: Right. <laughs> so... To me, like, it was less about, is this sketch funny? Is this performer funny? And it's just like, it's on. (laughs) It must be funny.
3: (laughs) Right. I think that was their tagline at one point. (laughs) 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 It's on. It must be funny.
1: Um, So I loved Sandler on the show when I was 10 or whatever around that age because I loved everybody on the show at Mm -hmm. that age. I did remember having a special connection to the Hanukkah song, being a Jewish kid and having somebody proudly Jewish on a very popular TV show talking about Judaism in a funny way. I really loved that. And I could feel like I, I grew up on Long Island and there are a lot of Jews. And like you could tell that like a lot of the fandom of Sandler came from that place as far as like the people that I was friends with or my my community.
3: That was absolutely true for me too. A lot of my friends. Who were Jewish, like, happened to be longtime fans of his.
1: Yeah, I think even if you were not an SNL or Sandler fan, just representation does matter, and that you liked the Hanukkah song.
3: <laughs> yeah, no, and like, again, it's there are not really that many songs associated with any kind of Jewish traditions or holidays that become so well known that like everyone, almost everyone knows them. Um, Maybe it's, like, dreidel, dreidel, dreidel is kind of the only one I could think of. Um, But the Hanukkah song, like, everybody, everybody knows the Hanukkah song.
2: And I grew up, I wasn't aware of anyone that I knew that was Jewish. Maybe there were some kids in my school who were, but not that I know of. So that's where I learned about, (laughs) I know more about Hanukkah from that song than, (laughs) <laughs> I do from the context of my own life up until I went to college and moved me. to <laughs> Los Angeles and met a lot more Jewish people than <laughs> I ever imagined. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Including Becky. <laughs> so as far as his movies were concerned, I wasn't really a fan, although I grew some affinity at some point in my life for Billy Madison. Not mm-hmm. when it was out, but later. There are very, very few like silly movies that I like. like. I really hate stupid comedy, but I really liked Dumb and Dumber growing up and I liked... Billy hmm. Madison. I have never seen Happy Gilmore till last week. Still haven't seen The Water Boy, but I did see Big Daddy, The Wedding Singer, and Little Nicky <laughs> in, in um that in theaters. A rough one. Yeah. So at some point, and I think this had less to do with I'm an Adam Sandler fan and more to do with it. I'm a teenager and it's out. <laughs> it's you know? out
3: and it must be funny, <laughs> right? <laughs> or I
1: just like I. Ha- what else am I going to do? Yeah.
3: That was the tagline on there. I'm little Nicky <laughs> on the poster. What else are you going to do?
1: <laughs> right. You teenager in the suburbs what else are you gonna do we got you by the balls (laughs) you're gonna see it yeah so i think that i was like yes a fan and also not it really depended (laughs) it's
3: a yes but it's a yes
1: but i'm kind of curious did you guys listen to his comedy albums
3: no (laughs) many of my friends did like who were hardcore fanlers, I feel like they were specifically the friends who would be listening to like Jerky Boys and
1: mm-hmm, also uh-huh. like
3: more who were into kind of more punk music too. Huh. It was that kind of like Venn diagram of my friends.
2: I had totally forgotten he even had comedy albums. I never listened to them. I think I was vaguely aware of that because maybe did he, he perform songs on them? I feel like some of...
1: They recorded them. Yeah. It wasn't just like a live recording. It was Yeah. You know what I mean? He was in a studio. And they're also they're like sketches.
2: Yeah, I I might have heard some of them, but I certainly didn't like or or seek them out like I might have heard them
1: I somehow heard them I don't know if it was through like guy friends or maybe some girlfriends I had that liked him or maybe it was camp or something I don't know but somehow I f- heard them without buying them and I always hated them so much <laughs> but I felt two things I felt like why aren't I getting this and everyone else is
3: yeah and
1: the other part was this is so stupid and everyone's stupid for liking it. <laughs> <laughs> depending on my mood, it was like either I'm stupid for not getting it or everyone else is stupid for liking it.
3: Someone is <laughs> stupid. That's Thank you for explaining the dual nature of that because that I feel like I had that at a high volume.
1: Yeah, I remember really trying to like it and failing to do so. Okay, so Saturday Night Live, we watched Adam Sandler's Best Of and I guess let's just talk about our experience with that.
2: Yeah, I didn't really talk about my experience with SNL during these times with Adam Sandler, but it was much like with Chris Farley and Mike Myers in that I sometimes saw the show, but not often enough to have much nostalgia. Like I was familiar with most of these sketches more so than I was with a lot of the Chris Farley stuff because I think a lot of these were slightly later but the Halloween costume guy that he does on Weekend Update like that was a thing that I know like I would say with my family so that must have been something we all watched together and thought was funny that he picks the most random like objects and says I'm this guy like give me some candy oh yeah that was like a thing that we would talk about. And so, yeah, I know if you had said like opera man to me or any other various man or boy that he played, which almost <laughs> all of his characters were some kind of man or boy, I would have been like, yeah, I know who that is. But I don't remember, you know, watching them over and over again. I don't feel like I saw nearly every one of his moments when he did all this stuff. So my experience watching this now was more amusement just because it felt slightly more familiar to me, like some of the pop culture references is like he's doing stuff on Weekend Update as Opera Man... where he's uh, talking about things that I remember from the news or whatever. Not necessarily in an <laughs> attitude that uh, holds up today in, in every sense, but... <laughs> calling people whores and stuff. <laughs> yeah. A lot of gay jokes. Mm-hmm. But it did highlight how much of his shtick is, I'm this guy, I'm doing a crazy voice, <laughs> I'm shouting, I'm maybe singing a little bit. Like, it's all kind of the same in a slightly different category and it's all kind of based around voices and like <laughs> and wigs <laughs> and not even like a skilled like you know he's not doing
3: like he's
1: not doing a, a master impression yeah. <laughs> yeah
3: he's not he's not a james adomian if you yeah. <laughs> one of several muppet voices that he does basically <laughs> it's flavors of muppet
2: yeah <laughs> i found most of this amusing enough i didn't like cringe watching it or like hate watching these sketches but as opposed to some of the other guys that we've been discussing in the series i'm not sure snl is his best material like i'm i think maybe of the three i think he's by far the weakest performer on that show and that I would much rather watch him in movies than I would watch him on SNL, which is, I think, especially for Chris Farley, I think that's where he shined. Like movies were not where he shined.
1: Maybe one day he would have, but yeah, yeah, exactly.
2: And Mike Myers, maybe kind of both. Like he was very consistent between what he was doing on SNL, and and so yeah, I guess that's where he falls. Is I was like, eh, you've seen a little bit, you've you've gotten it. Like the songs obviously stand out, I think, because he he is a funny songwriter and performs them pretty well so those are memorable but the characters are very sketch comedy passable but not all timers I would say I like none of the characters were
3: like someone that I was like oh I I need more of that character I'm like I'm good I I got one I'm good (laughs) yeah I completely agree with all of that basically you know I think on SNL sometimes when you had a good writer like for some of those opera man segments like it would be funny because he had good material to deliver. But then also a lot of times there seemed to just be like a let Sandler be Sandler mentality. And I don't think that's where he shines at all. Um, a little goes such a long way, uh, especially watching like an SNL best of, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, and I feel like the other two, you know, say what you will about it. You know, certain sketches in them, not liking certain sketches in them, but there was, I think, at least more gold there to be mined. And with Sandler, yeah, it just felt very obligatory um, and kind of perfunctory. Like, I think Adam Sandler is almost never the best part of any of his most famous sketches, like other than the Weekend Update segments. Um, and other than the songs
2: Well I noticed that as well like Some of these were repeats Of the ones that we saw From Chris Farley especially And mm-hmm. I was like Oh yeah Chris Farley is really Standing out more in these Than he exactly. is and Exactly
3: And he is often Kind of
2: playing the straight man To Chris Farley And, and breaking character And like especially that one Where he's an old man mm-hmm. And his wife The Zagat sketch Yeah whatever he's doing In that sketch is just not Yeah Like he's like failing To like come up with Like a good character
3: Yeah it's To me they don't even seem Like good sketch characters To me they most Mostly seem like improv characters yeah, yeah, that you were handed a wig and a prop two seconds before you had to go out on stage and you're just winging it. <laughs> and Chris Farley can do that. Chris Farley can do that. I don't think Mike Myers much tried to, maybe he could have, but yeah, it feels like Sandler is always doing that. And I think also that nearly all of his songs Like even though the music is often very clever And some of them are catchy and funny But so many of his songs are just dumb They're just very dumb But again I very much did appreciate the Hanukkah song Also this time around And I do feel like it has a lot of novelty in it And I had Jewish friends like all of my life growing up But learned more about Judaism from the Hanukkah song Than I did from like school curriculum
0: We got Ann Landers and her sister, dear Abby. Harrison Ford's a quarter Jewish. Not too shabby. <laughs> Some people think that Ebenezer Scrooge is. Well he's not, but guess who is? All three stooges. <laughs> oh boy. So oh, so many Jews are in show biz. Tom Cruise isn't, but I think his agent is. <laughs> Tell your friend Veronica, it's time to celebrate Hanukkah. I hope I get a harmonica on this lovely, lovely Hanukkah. So drink your gin and Hanukkah, but don't smoke marijuana If you really, really want to have a happy, 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 happy Hanukkah. Happy Hanukkah!
3: But yeah, I found a lot of it to be a hard slog watching the best of this time around. And, you know, I had particular problems with particular sketches that... We'll get into those. Yeah, we'll get into.
1: So we watched Chris Farley's best of, and I was laughing consistently. Watched Mike Myers, and I would say it was uneven. Some sketches that were hits made me laugh quite a bit, and some that weren't meh. Mm Mm-hmm. I found Sandler to be anti-comedy. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I cringed the whole way through. Maybe minus Lunch Ladyland because of Chris Farley. And I liked the was was it Michelob gay or whatever? The the Schmitz-gay. beer. Schmitz gay. Schmitz gay. Again, Chris Farley's more the star in that. And I like the Hanukkah song. I find his music sketches when he's alone to be fairly amusing. But when he is in a sketch, I find him to be anti-comedy. Like, his permanent expression is a tight-lipped smirk trying not to laugh. Like, that's everything he's in. Yes, yes, yes. I truly hated watching this best of, oh, for the most part. Becky,
3: this is your spiciest opinion on the podcast I, to date.
1: I can't stand his stupid voice. <laughs> like, not his voice, but his stupid voice. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> like, I can't stand it. That said, I found him to be very cute. <laughs> and he seems like a good person. And I've watched a lot of Sandler in this this past week researching him and i find him and we can talk about this more later but like i find him to be like a good person he seems uh, like a nice boy a nice jewish boy who's cute and sorry judd cuter than you (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah But he's always winking to the audience that he knows how stupid he is. And it drives me crazy. Okay, so let's just dive into specific scenes or characters. I have never, ever, ever liked Canteen Boy and do not understand this sketch.
3: Okay, so my notes on this were, Jesus fucking Christ, (laughs) all copies of this sketch should be burnt. Instead, they put a, a disclaimer at the beginning of it that says Canteen Boy is 27. <laughs> I
1: was like, what are do you doing? What?
3: And, and even that's a joke disclaimer that like undercuts itself because it says like it's been embellished to to say that he can summon snakes. So this whole sketch is based entirely on gay panic. Yes. It is based entirely on gay panic. It's based on pedophilia. Yeah. But it's also conflating the two.
1: Yes, I agree.
3: Correct, Chris. But it's also conflating homosexuality and pedophilia. I I agree with that. And deliberately it's like the fascists who were talking about groomers now. This is this is about grooming. It is, but <laughs> like grooming a kid. I
1: don't understand. You know how they're like find the 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 game of the scene, or right. like what's the kernel right. of like what the scene's about. What is the scene? It's Alec Baldwin as a scoutmaster trying to get in Adam Sandler's pants,
3: trying to seduce a scout in his troop while on a camping trip. Do you know how <laughs> how to play?
0: Truth or dare? Canteen boy. Uh refresh me. You choose between telling a secret or doing a dare. All right, dare. You know what, Mr. Armstrong? Let's start off with a truth. I'll tell you a truth, Canteen Boy.
3: you know what I hate? Underpants. Gee,
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think if you're worried about bugs, underpants would be your last line of defense. <laughs> problem solved. Your problem solved, but I think my problem's just beginning.
1: <laughs> yeah, but like, but also, it's weird on top of weird. It's hat on a hat. Yes. On a canteen that like sandler is very strange in the in the scene as well for some reason the disclaimer is like he's 27 but whatever it's not like he's like just playing a regular person and then this weird thing is happening he's also weird in the scene and it's yes. just so bizarre and, and it's I hate not, it.
3: and it's not but, grounded in anything no you don't know so if, weird. Like, there is no character there so you don't know the actual circumstances and the fact that they say it's 27 they're saying that but his performance is clearly not like a right 27 year old you wouldn't be a Boy Scout right like that.
2: Point. Well, a lot of his character, like the water, it's he's kind of playing the same character as the water boy, which he yes. would obviously developed later. But it's like someone who is technically an adult, even though I feel like that's not canon really with this because <laughs> it feels like he's a kid. But like someone who like looks obviously like an adult man, but has the intellect of a child artist, canteen. Yes.
1: <laughs> <Of> a canteen.
2: <laughs> it is a weird sketch. Like he's called Canteen Boy, and th- and he's constantly referred to that by everybody. Alec Baldwin, yeah. But don't they all have
3: canteens? like why is
2: he canteen? yeah boy? i was
3: in the scouts at least long enough to know that there is not an appointed position of canteen boy
2: and it it is a very strange through line that he then kind of developed this into water boy because it's like he has these characters who are just obsessed with water for some reason or carriers for water i i don't really get like the comedy there <laughs> But I think the reason that he's doing that, one is like, it's his crutch, and he always does that to try and be funny. Like
1: making a weird voice. Weird voice,
2: like acting kind of like the a simpleton. Noises. But also because this sketch is just a straight drama, if you believe that he's a... <laughs>
1: or a horror thriller.
2: Yeah. There's not really... Jokes in it. It's no. really just discomfort with the fact that Alec Baldwin is trying to seduce this boy, and this boy is uncomfortable,
3: and it draws it out so long. Like you they are intentionally building the tension of it. And you know as the audience member that he is that Alec Baldwin's character is seducing him. like, a minute at least in this sketch before Canteen Boy even suspects it because he's so innocent. It goes for that creepiness and like triples down on it.
1: But like there's no jokes. There's nothing there's, funny in and it. And there's no
3: jokes and no comedy to it. I don't understand <sighs> this
1: sketch. And th- this, this is a repeated sketch. There are other Canteen Boy sketches. I don't understand.
3: <laughs> so
2: I'm going to say this sketch is very problematic. And I did kind of find it funny. I think it was more like the taboo-ness or just like the darkness of it that I didn't expect like this from SNL, which I think is a problem. Like I'm not really excusing it or saying that it really even works. But like, I guess something about the kind of like darkness and taboo-ness just like at at least caught my interest. It's
3: genuinely edgy in a way that SNL almost never is.
2: And what it made me think of was just, like, in the 90s, I mean, there were all those, like, also, like, Michael Jackson rumors throughout the 90s, you know, and, Mm -hmm. like, court cases and stuff. And there were always jokes about that on, like, late night. And now I look back on that time and I'm just like, why were people making jokes about that? Like, that's not funny. And that it's the same thing here. Is It's just, like, it seems very strange that, for some reason, sexual assault of boys was, like, treated as, like, something to laugh at. And it's, like, not even, like, with jokes, like, in this sketch. But it's just, like... That idea inherently was funny in 1992 or whenever the sketch was.
3: And again, just to like reiterate, um, like it's, it is also used in a way to be homophobic. What it's doing is having predatory gay men be a consistent, like, through line for comedy.
2: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um,
3: but then again, not even writing jokes into it. Another sketch that I thought should be on the ash heap of history (laughs) is the Denise Show.
1: Oh boy. That was a favorite of mine when I was little, and it was very strange watching it today.
3: Yeah, it's real weird watching it now. It's very uncomfortable. He plays the jilted ex-boyfriend of Denise, and he can't get over her. And the vibe of it is just incredibly creepy, cringy, crawly. And the audience is basically cheering for him to keep stalking and pining over Denise. <sighs>
0: okay now it's the part of the show where I look at Denise's picture and I talk to it why why do you push me away when all I want to do is love you Take me back, Denise, please Hello, Brian, this is your father
1: Bottle! You don't
0: understand! No, I hate you! shut up.
4: Brian! Brian, what are you doing? What the hell is wrong with you?
0: Hello, Denise
4: Why can't you get it? It is over You and me are over Face reality We're not a couple Move on with your life
0: Will you go back out with me? No! (laughs) Then the show must go on
1: It, like, almost works because the people in the sketch, like, his dad calls and he's like, you got to get over her.
3: Yeah, but he's, like, the only person who's not encouraging him to actively, like, stalk her and continue doing things on the show. What does Chris Farley do? Follow her.
1: What does Chris Farley do? it? Like, he just saw her or something? Oh,
2: I
3: think he was one of the people who saw her. Sold her. her something at a store or something like
1: that. Or, and he wasn't he like she looks good and he's like get out of here or so, I don't know
2: the it, fact that we don't remember any of this <laughs> is probably not a great it's, thing
1: it like. It would almost work if it had a stronger point of view saying this is wrong, but it yeah. doesn't. It's just basically a guy stalking his ex girlfriend.
3: <laughs> yeah. And then Denise shows up at the end of the sketch and it's like, he's like, will you go back out with me? And she says, no. And he says, then the show must go on. The sketch calls the question on like the premise of it. And he chooses to continue doing it. Like it's. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I didn't
2: think this was very funny, so it wasn't, I didn't even, like, make a note of the sketch. I kind of forgot about it. But I will say that, again, kind of, like, the slight darkness of it and the more that it's kind of pitched at a more serious level actually does work for me in a way, but I wish that it was, like, a little funnier.
3: I think that I don't know. I do. I definitely see what you're saying, and and certainly comedy in the 90s was more deliberately edgy. But I think that there was also a kind of conflation of edginess with actual humor and and like successful comedy. I think there was a way in which it kind of like over <laughs> it, it went a bit too much in the direction of just like edginess for edginess' sake. Yeah, I, like for I like comedies
2: that are rooted pretty closely in reality. Like I'm not a big like goofy or like broad comedy person usually. And so I thought this sketch had a lot of potential because it's talking about a real thing and I would find it funny if it was funny, (laughs) you know, but it's more like it did like the work of like setting up a comedy sketch I would like, but then just didn't really have jazz. Yeah, I kind
3: of liked some of the callers that called in and were like trying to be sympathetic to him. Like in, in some way that kind of made it a bit funnier. But again, like it, couldn't get past the wall of like the inherent creepiness of it all to me
1: uh how about our reiki pete did that work for you
3: nope <laughs> no i immediately skipped that the second it started i, I didn't just... remember
1: it at all this one i didn't re- recall and yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was my reaction
2: i said nope and that's my full review <laughs> it yeah. didn't work. um
1: there is a sketch i want to talk about is very personal <laughs>
2: so, oh. Oh. opera man
1: yeah opera man There is a sketch, and it is a recurring sketch, whenever Kirstie Alley hosted.
3: Oh.
1: Where she is on a date or on vacation with her husband. They're in Italy, or they're at an Italian restaurant, and all the men around her grope her and hump her, and she's just like... And French kiss her. Yeah, and like, she laughs it off. And the husband is like, you get over my wife. And they're like, oh, don't you see, we're Italian. It's just uh," like, okay, so... (laughs) When I was little, this was a repeated sketch. I would see this sketch, and I would be like, I have to go to the bathroom. (laughs) And that was basically me getting turned on as, like, a nine-year-old and not understanding what I'm seeing.
3: Wow. (laughs) Wow. I
1: recall this sketch, like, because of that. Because whenever I'd watch it, I'd feel like I'd have to pee. Like, that was, like... Because, like, things were happening down
3: there. It awoke something in you. But I did
1: not understand. It wasn't like I was like, ooh, hot. I didn't know what I was seeing. Because, basically, this is the closest thing Saturday Night Live has done to porn. Like, it is a gangbang scene, (laughs) basically. It really is. Honestly, it's porn without nudity. Like, it is the whole fantasy of a gangbang and people not being into it. And, like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just... I cannot believe well, this was on the air.
3: <laughs> I don't know. I also don't think it's a gang bang because gang bangs usually imply consent.
1: Okay, then the opposite. Like sure. I mean, I mean, kind of then gang it's gang rape. Yeah, then that.
3: Yeah. It's like gang sexual assaults. There's like, like
1: a real kinkiness in this sketch that is just a bunch of men sexually assaulting a woman.
3: Yeah. <laughs> this is one of the more broy edges of this generation of SNL casts.
1: Yeah, it is.
3: And it literally is those specific men too. It's it's Spade. Was Farley ever in
1: the Yeah, Schneider.
3: definitely Rob Schneider and Sandler
1: yeah and it was very strange watching this sketch again because I was like well I remember that it took a bit for me to be like what is happening to me
3: (laughs) (laughs) do you have to go
2: to the bathroom when you were watching it this time no The hotness has left
3: the building.
1: Oh, no, I masturbated.
3: <laughs> <laughs> you so- didn't leave the room.
1: <laughs> That's going in. <laughs> I found that whole sketch to be abhorrent, honestly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> was not a good time watching the Sandler rundown. I do like Opera Man.
2: <laughs> I did not enjoy back-to-back Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump jokes mm. on Opera Man, which yeah. was just like, oh, God, even back then. yeah. But yeah, Opera Man had some pretty funny little moments. Some that didn't hold up as well in terms of uh cultural attitudes. But yeah. yeah.
1: I didn't know what Cajun meant when I was little. So the whole like tradition. Tradition. I thought that it was just a guy that just tried to rhyme Sean. <laughs> I didn't get like the Cajun part.
3: Okay, fair enough. Yeah, fair I didn't I
1: didn't know what that was when I was little.
3: Yeah, they didn't make you take Cajun studies.
1: No, I was yeah. I was not born in New Orleans. So So shocking.
3: It's truly the worst putatively Cajun accent ever devised. It's not even (laughs) Cajun adjacent. It's like someone who's Pretty middling at improv. Heard someone's impression of a Cajun voice, specifically like an impression of an impression of Chef Paul Prudhomme or like one of the other like New Orleans chefs. The rhyming of chant is the only kind of comedy through line of it. Yeah. There's nothing about him that's actually like Cajun at all. No,
1: that's why I didn't know what it was. It was just like oh, it's a, this just guy rhymes. Yeah, and this I
3: also felt like was kind of a predecessor to Waterboy, at least in the character. Oh, yes. Such as it is.
2: Yeah, Adam Sandler, I feel like, often is unlike Mike Myers or Chris Farley, who are fully committed to their characters. Sometimes too much, even. Like, they are fully immersed. And Adam Sandler is not, often. He's much more, like, holding back and kind of almost more like in a, like, high school theater kind of way, where it's like, you know, you're really thinking more about the audience and and your, like, friends in the audience and not wanting them to see you, like, trying
3: too hard. It feels almost like being a class clown in school more than trying to be an earnest performance. Yes. Mm
1: -hmm. I can see that.
2: Yeah, I did like the Gap Girl sketch mostly just because that was familiar to me as, like, someone who knew people who worked at the Gap and then later did work at uh, Banana Republic.
1: I did like the Gap Girl sketch. It wasn't that it was, but again, it wasn't because it was like super funny. It was just, besides lay off me, I'm starving. Like everything else was just like, oh, I remember this and just went exactly. down easy.
2: Yeah. And it's not Adam Sandler's performance in that that's particularly memorable. It's more kind of like the overall like writing and, and yeah gimmick of it.
3: I wanted to bring up my favorite sketch, which was the Hurley boy. The who? Which one is that? The Hurley boy.
0: Let me sleep in your bed. You're not even going to be there. Please let me let me sleep in your bed. Nothing weird's gonna happen. I'll sleep in the exact same position as you sleep. You can trust me. I'll even wash the sheets before you come back. How's that? Please? Sweet mother of God, what is the holdup? Let the boy sleep in your damn bed! He said he'd wash the sheets! Yeah? Please don't make me wash the sheets. He's a clean boy. Wash your own damn sheets. For God's sakes. What is it? Let me move in with you, please. When you come back home, don't make me leave. Please, let me move in with you.
3: There's this kid, and he just very much wants to, like, mow your lawn and pick up your trash. Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> okay.
3: And walk your dog and sleep in your bed. <laughs>
1: let him sleep in your bed. <laughs> Who's the person? Let him
3: stay with you. It's Chris Farley. And Chris Farley's playing his dad. That's right. And his dad's, like, trying to convince you. Like, let my son help you. That's just Let right. him help you. All he wants to do is help.
1: But again, it's Chris Farley takes it away
3: yeah, oh, definitely. Chris Farley's performance sends the sketch out like into the stratosphere to me because he's so crazy committed. And because Farley keeps doing this performance thing at the end of all his lines where he sounds like he's about to say more words, yes. but then he just, like, cuts it off. <laughs> yeah. And at first, you, like, don't know if he missed a line or forgot a line, but he, like, keeps doing it. And this time, Sandler does kind of almost start to break, and but I actually enjoyed it more. This one felt like the only time where the desperation of Adam Sandler's characters, like, actually, for whatever reason, it made sense here to me, where in the rest of the sketches, it didn't.
1: Alright, let's talk about Billy Madison. Shampoo is better. I go on first and clean the hair.
0: Conditioner is better. I leave the hair silky and smooth. Oh, really, fool? Really? (laughs) Stop looking at me, swan.
1: Billy Madison is directed by Tamara Davis. She is the same woman who directed Crossroads and Half-Baked. And Hanson's Mbop video.
2: So she's got kind of a a teeny bopper, (laughs) 90s 90s teeny bopper, yeah. Yeah.
1: But also Billy Madison. The movie was written by Adam Sandler and frequent Sandler collaborator Tim Herlihy. He was Sandler's roommate at NYU and wrote stand-up material for Sandler.
2: He so was, is he hotter than Adam Sandler? I
1: don't know. <laughs> he was working in a law firm while writing Billy Madison with Sandler. In 94, he got hired by SNL as a writer and stayed there for five years. Tim's son, Martin, is currently on SNL with the sketch group, Please Don't Destroy. Huh. Just some trivia. The release date was February 10th, 1995. Billy Madison stars Adam Sandler, Bradley Whitford, and Bridget Wilson. The budget was $10 million, and the box office was $26 million. The plot of Billy Madison. Billy is the son of a multimillionaire hotel magnate and the sole heir to the company. His father decides to hand the company over to his underling, company VP Eric Gordon. Billy asks him to reconsider, and he reveals to Billy that he paid off his teachers in every single grade from first to senior year in high school to give him passing grades. They make a deal that if Billy passes every single grade in a short amount of time, he'll prove he's competent enough to run the company. As you do. What a weird premise. That's succession, right? <laughs> That's succession. <laughs> That's another succession. Sure. Right? Yeah. Bob Odenkirk was meant to play Eric, but the studio rejected it. Philip Seymour Hoffman turned down the role.
2: <laughs> That's Part weird past. because it's not like Bradley Whitford was like a huge draw. Mm-hmm. Like, did anyone know who he was at the time? He wasn't exactly a get.
1: Just a bit of trivia, Farley drank six shots of espresso for his scenes as the bus driver. I believe it. (laughs) And he turned red before our eyes. He probably did
3: other substances that he (laughs) did not report. That's not the only upper. Yeah.
1: Everybody on? Good, great, grand, wonderful. No yelling on the bus! Reviews for Billy Madison were not great.
2: (laughs) Just like his (laughs) grades.
1: Ebert gave the movie a thumbs down. He called Sandler not an attractive screen presence. (laughs) He might have a career as a villain or as a fall guy or the butt of a joke, but as the protagonist, his problem is that he recreates the fingernails on the blackboard syndrome. Rita Kempley of the Washington Post. Back
3: on the Rita Beat. Back on the Rita
1: Beat. Back on the Rita Beat. Back on the Rita Beat. I'm being paid for this, correct? Rita said that the film was trying to be a more kid-friendly version of Dumb and Dumber. And there's even a moral, Yahoo for education, though the movie doesn't really put any muscle behind it. Rita is strange, as usual. (laughs) (laughs) Billy Mabre of Film 4 gave the film a positive review, writing, When you get that Sandler's comedic persona is meant to be annoying, like Beavis and Butthead or Cartman, the laughs come thick and fast. So what did you think about watching Billy Madison in the year of our Lord 2023?
0: Well, Gentlemen, I can't thank
4: you enough for coming out here this evening.
0: Uh,
4: please, Billy, please, no gibberish tonight, please, I beg you.
0: Sorry, Daddy.
4: Uh, this is a big night for me tonight, gents. I uh, I have an important announcement to make.
1: Get us here! Billy, get the hell
0: out of here! <clears throat> Nice talking to you billy yeah!
2: much like tommy boy when this movie started i was like uh oh i'm not having a good time with this shtick it's all the childish voices he does like a suntan lotion song that's kind of <laughs> the first thing that we see it was just like real pure sandler energy going into it without any sort of character And then much like Tommy Boy, I found myself won over fairly early on by enough funny jokes and enough semi-charming character moments that like I kind of went with it. And much like Tommy Boy, the plot of this movie, (laughs) which is the (laughs) same plot. (laughs) of a kind of idiot man who is supposed to take over his father's company and released the same year. And like we talked about in the Chris Farley episode, like they even changed the name of Tommy Boy because Billy Madison was coming out, which Hmm. didn't really make sense. But this is Adam Sandler's has been kissed (laughs) with a person who is too old for school going back to school in order to have inappropriate relationships with their instructors. I was amused throughout this movie. Enough of it was funny that it worked well enough. Like, it's certainly not brilliantly written or performed. You know, we'll get into specifics of what we liked or didn't. But I was surprised because I saw this back in the day, but I had not rewatched it ever, I don't think. So my memory of it was that this was, like, kind of dumb, typical Adam Sandler humor and that there wasn't much to it that I liked and... I was surprised that there were, like, little touches that I liked more and and found genuinely funny.
3: Part of me sees it that way, where it's like, went in with kind of low expectations and was pleasantly won over. But I wasn't that won over. And it's just so much of this man's whole over revolves around acting like the stupidest person who's ever lived. So, like, I appreciate it in the sense that it's the sharpest vehicle to convey that version of Adam Sandler. It's not the least funny Adam Sandler movie we watched in preparation for this it's not the worst at all but i think i liked this a lot more at the time near the time that it came out when i still had the mentality of an 11 to 14 year old you were the target audience (laughs) yeah it's like i was the perfect target audience and again my friends all absolutely loved him so like i get now why i liked it More at the time. I really think the only comedy I drew from this, and there were some, like, really good laughs, but it all came from the side characters in really most of these movies, but especially in this one. I don't feel like Adam Sandler's characters ever really advance the plot themselves. I don't think they're smart enough to really do that and to, like, move their own lives forward, and it goes to the charity of others (laughs) to even get him dressed. Every day, seemingly. But again, it's like, I found it overall relatively enjoyable. And I just don't think it's that good. I don't consider it in the highest echelons of 90s comedies at all. I think we're grading on a curve in kind of all of these episodes. (laughs) That's fair.
1: So this was my favorite Adam Sandler movie, if you asked me, for many years. I could quote this movie up and down Seen it, seen it quite a few times. I did not know this. Yeah, I think that I liked that I liked a stupid movie. Like I like, I really liked liking Dumb and Dumber, and I felt similarly with this.
2: I think that's how I felt about Happy Gilmore. Honestly, actually, (laughs) is like that's I was like, I can, I can like stupid things too. Like this, (laughs) I'm down. down.
3: (laughs) I can hang. I'm cool. I'm hip. I'm with it. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: So I remember liking Dumb and Dumber still. I believe I still had some fondness for that movie. The moment the music started in this movie, it all came back to me where I was like, oh, my God, I remember watching this on repeat like so much. I did not enjoy watching this again it has been many years since i've watched it and i had kept meaning to watch it again like it'd be on streaming and I'd be like oh billy madison i want to watch that but then it just didn't happen so we rewatched it for this and i and i was not i didn't have a good time Mm. and i was very bummed out
2: (laughs) that i did not
1: have a good time
3: yeah did I like Billy Madison the most out of all of us?
1: That is a weird.
3: Again, results just the the takes are not predictable in this episode. No, of when I we Were Ex- Young.
1: I expected to like this because so I did many too. I so did too. many of the quotes. You know something, you suck. Like yeah. I would like say these like these are like things that I like could pull right out of me. Like these quotes, but I just really didn't like watching this. I don't think it aged well. I kind of think was this ever funny? <laughs> like I'm doubting myself. So, boy, where to start? I don't understand the principal character. <laughs> Let's start there. Yeah. That
2: was a poor aspect. That was a song. poor
1: aspect where you start off thinking that it's just going to be a gay panic moment, which doesn't hold up still, where he's like, you know, a goofy-looking principal, like middle-aged overweight, man, balding. overweight balding middle-aged guy. Who's like hitting on Billy on Valentine's Day?
3: The principal of the school is a substitute teacher on Valentine's Day. Oh, I
1: thought he was the principal.
3: He is, yeah. The principal was subbing for the class. He was subbing for the teacher who was out sick. And so Billy Madison's already getting like all of these valentines from the little girls in his what was that like third, third grade, grade class. Yeah. yeah. He's getting valentines from third graders and then gets a very ornate pretty valentine from the principal
1: substitute. That also says I'm horny. That says he's horny. Like like if you didn't get it, he's horny. <laughs> yeah. And I just didn't like that, but it's 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 almost built like, oh, this is going to be a character just in this one scene. No. He comes back later. He's, he's more important key, to the plot. He's
3: a key figure in the plot. Again, all the all the actual motion in the plots of these movies is thanks to other people.
1: Yeah. So I just like, what is this guy? We're supposed to like him, but then we're not supposed to like him. Like we're supposed to like him enough that I don't know. It was just what what are you doing, movie?
2: That was by far the worst thing for me, was that character. And that gay panic joke held up much less for me than even, like, the canteen boy thing, which was at least, like, bizarre and, and dark. And this was just kind of, like, the whole joke is that, like, Oh this guy that you you're not supposed to find attractive and probably didn't even think about him at all he's about to like creep on Billy Madison which is just weird because it, it's like it's inappropriate because Billy Madison is a student he's an adult man but he is a student so it's inappropriate and just like not enough development of this character and then later on it turns out that this guy was like a wrestler and he's getting blackmailed
1: But they call him the disgusting blob I was yeah. like I don't like this fat shaming like element Fat-shaming, as well engaging.
2: Shaming, like, all kinds of shaming well, with but then, guy.
3: like, later in the movie, all of the school kids show up in his lawn because the principal gets blackmailed into lying about Billy and saying that Billy paid him off to pass him, and... There's this discomfort with the fact that the kids are even at his house. The kids all show up at his house to, like, confront him, basically, and the moment he notices them all, he's like, you can't all be here. Like, he makes an insinuation that he has to keep a certain distance from children or keep children out of his yeah. house. And it's like, why is this man a principal? It's not even a character. It's just like a kind of yeah. free-floating... It's beyond gay panic. It's insinuating that gay people are predators yeah. of children and grown-ups. Equal opportunity. And that they have to
2: hide their identity and also... Like, right. Just like, even if he's not a predator, like he, he assumes that he will be thought of as a predator if he has children at his house. And it's just... Yeah, it's very gross.
1: I'll tell you, when I think this movie excels, it's when... It has surreal moments. Those are the moments I found to be the most, like, unique. And it's actually trying to have its own, like, voice as a movie versus, like, just stupid. <laughs> like, the the penguin and the song of the clown and the kissing montage at the end. Like, I felt like those were very surreal moments that were silly but... Clever.
3: Yeah, they were a little bit heightened compared to what the rest of the movie is trying to do.
1: Yeah, like they're trying to be strange. It happens a little bit in Happy Gilmore, but like just the surrealness, it's just more unique. It's just more interesting, I think, that the rest of it is so stupid, but this is like just... These little kisses of moments that are like, oh, this is like really strange in a, in a funny way. To me,
3: they're some of the only parts that have any actual energy to them. Mm-hmm. Like the rest of this movie, rewatching it now, it's like it feels like dead. I don't know if there are any real action sequences in any of his movies. Again, like all these other movies have stunts and they have like a big idea of some kind. And this is just... It's so small scale, I guess.
2: Well, yeah. I did also appreciate those surreal moments. Like, the penguin thing is pretty funny. And Happy Gilmore has a little bit of it, too. But it really trails off in his career. Like, what we think of as Adam Sandler comedies now are very much grounded in the real world, I think. And, like, Mm -hmm. very few of them have, like, really surreal moments or kind of, like, off-the-wall bizarre moments. I mean, like, there's click... (laughs) i said very few uh and i have not seen click but most of them are kind of rooted in this like he's a dad or he's a like family comedies yeah yeah i did think it was interesting to go back to these early ones and be reminded that there was this other track of comedy and in this one there is also a very strange dark streak that is not something that we think of with him either because again it's like usually very like late and straightforward and realistic and this one has several very dark jokes the O'Doyle's who end up driving
3: yeah. a car off a cliff and O'Doyle's dying. rule. Their car slips on a banana peel. Yes, I went back and rewatched specifically because I was like, "Wait, what happened to Chris Farley's the banana peel? He's,
1: yes. eating, a, he's eating a he's eating banana like, that's as right. a bus much
2: earlier scene. He
1: that's like right. just yeah.
2: throws it out, and you know it's gonna like. Come I enjoy back that somehow. callback. <laughs> yeah, there's a clown who I forget what happens but he's like bloodied and like yeah. he thought he was dead and then like, during
1: this song which is it's one of the funnier moments hey kids it's me yeah <laughs> hey
3: kids it's me i bet you thought that i was dead but when i fell over i just broke my leg and got a hemorrhage in my
2: Very Simpsons-y, it felt like. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's why I like that part. And then (laughs) there's also Steve Buscemi. Yep,
1: I was about to say. Yeah,
2: who is an old classmate of Billy Madison's that he calls and apologizes to as kind of a, you know, rethinking his past and like that he was kind of a bully before. And it's this very odd scene where like Steve Buscemi is really underplaying it and he's just like, oh yeah, thanks. And it's just kind of like, okay, why
3: is Steve Buscemi being such a demure person? Or
1: what's going on with this scene?
3: And then it's like, what's going to happen? Because then he goes over to his wife and starts like writing something down, and you're like, "Is he going to go take revenge? What's going to happen?" Yeah, it's a people to kill list, and so and he crosses, he crosses, him, crosses off, him off,
1: and then he takes lipstick. Isn't there a movie that you showed us recently that where they have lipstick?
3: That is Color of Night.
1: Yes, I think yes. that was a uh, no homage to that, <laughs> and I
3: think that is a color. Yeah, I think it is.
1: Look, I'm laughing right now thinking of that scene. Yeah. Those moments were not enough in the movie to make the movie work for me, right? But those moments worked for me because they
3: were so weird. Isn't Steve Buscemi in a lot of Adam Sandler movies? He's in Wedding Singer. Yeah, I think I feel like he's he's in in Big Daddy Daddy too. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it's like, I'll always be happy to see Steve Buscemi. But, does the plot of the whole movie, or do the stakes of the main character living or dying in this movie have to rely on Steve Buscemi bringing a sniper rifle (laughs) to (laughs) an academic decathlon at an elementary school? (laughs) It's extremely dark. And mm, probably something
2: you wouldn't do, at least in the same way, in a comedy today. And it's pretty dark. But it was irreverent enough and surprising enough in a Sandler movie that I don't expect that, that I did appreciate
1: those moments. The academic decathlon, the monologue that the moderator says, yes. I think is the best joke in the movie and one of my favorite jokes in a movie. By far. <laughs> by far. I award you no points and make God up for Sandler's
3: That monologue is better than this movie (laughs) so much better than this movie that sequence I mean I also like in terms of the surrealness being funnier I really loved the categories of the academic decathlon Mm -hmm. because they're all kind of making riffs on plot points that happened earlier in the movie like leaving bags of flaming dog poo on people's porches but that moderator is especially hilarious and that monologue is classic and has I think outlived the kind of reputation of that movie
2: I think the musical number is pretty funny. I remembered, don't I have a nice rack? That was the one line from this movie that I was like, oh yeah, I remember that.
1: Okay, can we talk about the female character? Yes, Bri- we can. Uh, what's her name? Oh, Veronica is the name.
2: Bridget Wilson is the actress.
3: First, I think it's important to point out how Chris just never forgets a rack, <laughs> especially
0: of a blonde. Iraq. Yeah. Miss Vaughn, I am sorry about what happened back there, but you have to admit, I've been trying to be good lately. <laughs>
4: Well, you're not the first person that's tried to grab my chest. Anyways, I'm really trying not to hold you to a higher standard than the rest of the students. Although maybe I should. You are, what, 50? No, it's just that
0: the other kids kind of look up to me and I don't want them to think I'm a coward.
4: Oh, don't worry about it. Next week you can have another bunch of kids to impress and another teacher to annoy.
0: I don't want to annoy another
2: teacher, Miss Vaughn. I want to annoy you. She looks very good in this movie. She does. But she doesn't she does. look like
1: a teacher.
2: <laughs> no, she does bring like a parasol to
3: like a like a party with children. <laughs> right. I was like, what is she? <laughs> That's right. You don't accessorize for a, a party with children.
1: So I had to write this down. There's a scene where Billy's on the bus and they're like, I bet you to grab the teacher's breast. I dare you. I dare you. And he's like, I can't do that. And then he's like, I double dog dare you. And, or like, he bets him like 10 bucks. I don't remember who it was, but he goes over and he does it. And then late the next scene, he's like, sorry about the thing on the bus. And she's like, you're not the first person who tried to grab my chest. And she just smiles. And I was like, what? What?
3: <laughs> yeah, she's into it. And she's into him.
1: First of all, there's literally no reason she would be into him. Like none, nothing, yeah. not at all. And then she's also like, you're not the first person who tried to grab my chest. We're not going to talk about that. <laughs> like you're, we're just going to, like, go over that.
3: Yeah, we're just <laughs> going to throw it out there and move on.
1: Oh, my God. It was just like, what? The the representation of women, like, there's literally no reason she would like him. I was just like, oh, God, I'm sorry. Yeah, women, are, Wilson. <laughs> just like that. women
3: are just literally objects in his movies. I mean, most of the other characters are, too, but women are just objects. Yes,
2: and I liked her in this movie. I liked her character setup when she's like sparring with him. I thought Bridget Wilson did a good job of like imbuing this with as much character as this character could have in a thinly written character. Like no milk will ever be our milk, like she says to him.
3: Yeah, that was a funny moment. Yeah,
2: and I do kind of like them together in comparison to another movie we'll talk about (laughs) quite soon. Like, I I thought they had, like, (laughs) What could be? (laughs) They had some good chemistry, but her character, there's definitely, like, a beat or something missing where you get a reason why she would both be attracted to him just as two adults, and secondly, why she would, as a teacher of this man, cross the boundary of, like, wanting to, like, make out with him or whatever they're doing because it, she makes the excuse the day after like she's no longer his teacher it's okay And mm-hmm. like no one is very concerned with like the ethics of teacher student relationships right. in this and, movie
3: and from how they talk about it it sounds like she was waiting for him to graduate from that grade before macking on him
2: I feel it almost feels like there's a scene missing where she like, where we see that transition because she's kind of like charmed by him when he does the like covering for the kid who peed his pants.
0: Hey, look, everybody. Billy peed his pants. Of course I peed my pants. Everybody my age pees their pants. It's the coolest. Really? Yes, you ain't cool unless you pee your pants.
4: Wow. Hey, man, Ernie pees pants too. All right. right.
0: If peeing your pants is cool, consider me
1: Miles Davis.
2: You see that that's like the moment that she's kind of charmed by him, but that's not enough.
1: No, and she like he grabs her chest and then She
2: says something like, I double dog dare you, so she lets it be known that she overheard that and knows that he did it on, on purpose. Yeah, which boy. she's just cool with, which yeah, is not
3: We don't have to spend really any time on it, but just compare and contrast mentally how this movie views a female teacher grooming a student versus a male mm-hmm. overweight middle-aged principal trying to groom a student. Yep. Yeah.
1: Let's move on to Happy Gilmore.
0: I can't believe you're a professional golfer. I think you should be working at the snack bar. You better relax, Bob. There is no way that you could have been as bad at hockey as you are at golf. Alright, let's go. Oh! You like that, old man? You want a piece of me? I don't want a piece of you. I want the whole thing! Oh! Now you're going to get it, Bobby. <laughs>
1: Price is wrong, bitch. Happy Gilmore was directed by Dennis Dugan. He was another frequent director uh, with Sandler. He directed Grown Ups, Big Daddy, and I Now Pronounce You Chuck and Larry. Remember that, Jim?
2: Nope. Never saw it.
1: It was written by Tim Herlihy and Adam Sandler. The release date was February 16th, 1996. It stars Adam Sandler, Christopher McDonald, Julie Bowen, and Carl Weathers. The budget was twelve million, and the box office was thirty-eight million. The movie won the MTV Movie Award for Best Fight for Adam Sandler fighting Bob Barker.
3: Fair, <laughs> yeah, that's warranted. He earned that Moon Man. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the reviews, um,
3: were they
2: great? Based on <laughs> the, the tone of your voice, <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: Here's a review from Roger Ebert. He gave the film one and a half stars out of four. He stated that Adam Sandler's character doesn't have a pleasing personality. He seems angry even when he's not supposed to be. And his habit of pounding everyone he dislikes is tiring in a PG-13 movie. Darren Bignell of Empire wrote, The real surprise is that it's a lot of fun, with Sandler becoming more personable as the film progresses and a couple of truly side-splitting scenes. What is the plot of Happy Gilmore? (laughs) I didn't write it down. So this is off the top of my head. Uh, He used to play hockey, but he was not very good. Except he could hit really, really, really hard and far. I forget why he can't play hockey anymore.
2: He was never good. Like, he he was never accepted. Like, he can only do the hitting thing, but he's not actually good at the rest of the game. Oh, yeah, he's
1: not good at skating. So somebody, uh, Carl Weathers sees him, says, I'll train you to be a golfer. Then he goes on a PGA tour and beats, like, the number one golfer. I don't really know golf, so I don't know the terms. Seth, you want to take... You wanna no, you pretty here. much got it
3: right. Like, that's that's it. Like, he somehow magically insinuates himself into the professional golf tournament circuit.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thoughts on Happy Gilmore Chris?
2: <laughs> well, I own this one on VHS. This is the one that I... I think it was a gift. I think it was a gift from a friend who is tired of watching Twister and widescreen.
3: <laughs> How... Could you? Should have been the words that you said to this friend at that moment. <laughs> yeah, I think people wanted me to have something that they wanted to watch when I came over. I
2: don't know. Because I don't think I would have bought this for myself. So this was the one that I would watch sometimes, but not as often. I just imagine them like sliding the VHS over to you. <laughs> I mean, my note on this movie is golf is boring. <laughs> like, that's not even the movie, but I'm like, golf is not a cinematic sport. And it's not really possible to make it funny i know there are movies like caddyshack very few but there are some movies out there that i I don't know anything about that movie so it might be golf 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 and hilarious who knows but in my opinion based on this movie and other available movies that i've seen golf isn't funny it's boring and it doesn't make a good movie like there's not a lot of like like, football is, like, people crashing into each other and running. Like, it's very action-packed, and it's easy to make that, like, a climactic moment in a sports mm-hmm. movie. Same with a lot of sports. Golf? No. Which is why, I guess, they have him, like, hitting people all the time just to create <laughs> some of that. And they, obviously, they have this special effect where he's, like, hitting the golf ball, and it's, like, you're following the golf ball, like, zooming through a mile's worth of, you know, scenery and crashing into things.
3: Yeah, they try to make it cinematic.
2: But it still isn't. And so, yes, I'm sure that, like, in Cad Jack or something, they they found a way around, like, the inherent boringness of golf. But here they don't. And that's the thing is, like, the script is very weak. And so because, like, this, the idea for the movie is already weak, and then on top of that, there's really nothing going on in the story, even to the extent that there was not that much in Billy Madison, but there was a more interesting love interest, maybe still, you know, problematic, but at least she had some funny lines, moments like the musical number that stood out and were, like, fun moments yeah this movie like the relationships aren't interesting the stakes aren't very interesting it's like all about his grandma's house you know if if an old house is about to be auctioned off by selfish greedy people i greatly prefer a search for the stars fresh young musical act audition (laughs) than a pga tour that's a brady bunch reference for anyone who is not obsessed with that movie like i am which is almost everyone else but me and becky
3: No, but truly, it feels like that part of it is ripped off from a thousand movies, especially like 80s and early 90s movies.
2: And I thought it would work better if he actually was a real hockey player who was then going into golf. So you could contrast more like the rowdiness and aggression of hockey with the tameness and snobbery of golf. But because he isn't really even a real hockey player, I feel like that contrast doesn't even come up very much. And he should be missing teeth come on like this is an adam sandler character he's a hockey player and he has all his teeth I,
1: I was shocked that he wasn't a professional hockey player who for whatever reason like maybe he got his knee is busted
2: any reason and yeah. like
1: and then had to switch like didn't know what to do with his life and then switched to golf like i was just like why did they make him a failed hockey guy just make him a hockey guy i
3: know and it's like the way it sets it up you're already like not really rooting for him Because it's already like laying out that he's a total loser, like that he already totally failed at the other sport that he made his life.
1: This movie made me miss Billy Madison, (laughs) (laughs) or at least the surreal wackiness of Billy Madison. And Billy Madison, I think, is infinitely more quotable than this movie. This movie was my first watch, and it was very boring. I didn't hate it, and I actually thought I was going to hate it, but it was just kind of boring my first note because the beginning of the movie he's kind of like a dick to his girlfriend what is it she
2: breaks up with him and then he's talking to her through the intercom like she's leaving and she's downstairs at the front door and he's trying to like get her back oh. through the intercom. and make a desperate plea to get her back that's
1: right but he's like yelling at her calling her a bitch and then he's like baby i'm sorry terry wait
0: wait hold on a second babe yeah you're not going for for good are you honey
4: you're going nowhere happy and you're taking me with you All you ever talk about is being a pro hockey player, but there's a problem. You're not any good. I am
0: good. You know what, you're a lousy kindergarten teacher. I've seen those finger paintings you bring home and they suck. I'm sorry, babe, I didn't mean that. I I, I think they're excellent finger paintings. Please, don't go.
4: I am not spending the rest of my life with a loser. I'm
0: gone. Good, then get the hell out of my life. Who needs you? Beat it, leave me alone. I'm sorry, babe, I didn't mean that either. I, I just yell sometimes because I get so scared. Scared of being a nobody. Why don't you just come back upstairs, honey? I'll give you the old smoochy, smoochy kissy-wissy. Hmm? You know happy's gonna make everything okay.
1: Ah... Uh... My first note is, this is not a good man. This is an abusive man. It is
3: classic abusive (laughs) behavior.
1: This is not a good way to start your character off in the movie. Yes,
3: and he's like, he's doing the, like, you rage at the woman first And then you become super apologetic and super sad and depressive to get her sympathy and pull her back. Like, it is it is literally, like, textbook abusive behavior. It's the Denise show in a movie. It is the Denise show. But the
1: craziest thing is that this movie's not even about his relationship with her. At all! She doesn't even have to be in the movie. Like, it felt, like, very different from the happy Gilmore with his nice sweet grandma i was like why did we even have to have a girlfriend at all and this whole scene was like so weird and it was the first thing we're getting of knowing this character
3: it's such a through line in this movie that all the men in this world are abusive and gaslighting assholes and it was like whether it's adam sandler's character of happy gilmore or ben stiller who's like the nursing home caretaker for the grandma oh yeah he's like horribly verbally abusive and like I think, physically abusive, too, to, like, all the residents there,
2: like. But that's funny, and he's, like, a villain character, so it makes sense. I thought Ben Silver was actually really funny in this movie, and that plot line was pretty funny. I think his performance is funny. He's running a sweatshop with, like, old ladies, like, doing crafts for him. Like, that's
1: pretty funny. That didn't bother me as much as introducing our protagonist and him being, like, an abusive boyfriend. Yeah. I just found this movie not to be super funny. Like, I didn't really have any... I had a genuine laugh at, at the t-shirt, guns don't kill people, I kill people.
3: <laughs> it's an all-timer t-shirt.
1: And I laughed at the alligator and Chubbs and Lincoln waving from heaven, The ver- <laughs> like, which is literally the end of the movie. And that's, like, it. It wasn't, like, terribly offensive. Again, like, it was just kind of, like, blah.
3: Yeah, I mean, so I will definitely say a lot of the jokes in this movie are actually based on golf as a sport. I was really wondering how I would, you know, see this movie, rewatching it now, because I haven't seen it since I was a child. Like, even before adolescence. I Did you love it?
1: At the time? Yeah, at the time.
3: At the time, I think I maybe even liked this a bit more than Billy Madison, because this did come out kind of exactly around the time that I was on the golf team. (laughs) And Chris, like you were talking about with like, just going to see Adam Sandler movies. I think there was a large degree to which I joined the golf team to, want to be a joiner and try to fit in some and so I think I did some things to try to make myself like golf more than I actually did or convince myself that I did and I do remember liking this movie a lot because so much of the comedy specifically is revolving around golf so I totally understand not understanding a lot of the jokes just because of the fact that like if you don't know the mechanics of golf as a sport then a lot of it's not exactly accessible or as straightforward but also like going back to it now and re-watching it, the golf-based jokes are themselves not very good. <laughs> right. Like, it's, it's not that I don't get them. It's right. Even when you do get funny. them, they're not that funny. Yeah. And, and and I do think the comparison to to Billy Madison is apt in the sense that like there's not there isn't that kind of attempt to be surreal and there are kind of some semi-fantasy sequences where he's kind of daydreaming about Julie Bowen who's his love interest in this movie. Um but those are over so quickly and they don't really figure into the plot in any direct way. Um I object to the word interest. <laughs> I don't
2: think this movie has enough interest. And Julie Bowen.
3: Yeah, this movie is a very, it's a romantic, dispassionate attachment. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And again, it's like it doesn't even have the fig leaf of kind of even pretending to be a romantic comedy. I feel like, if anything, the stuff I got the most real chuckles out of was the super tall guy who had the Guns Don't Kill People I Do (laughs) shirt. And the fact that Shooter McGavin has to hit a shot off of this guy's foot. Mm -hmm. And the guy ends up beating the shit out of him. Like, that, to me, was one of the only kind of funny, kind of golf-related things in all of
1: it. At the time, if I watched this movie and didn't know about the Bob Barker fight, like, maybe I would have found that funny. But I, I knew it was coming, and I just didn't... I, I think because I wasn't surprised, It like there, was, there was just no comedy for it that for me. That played
2: really well at the time, I think, because it was yeah. much more unexpected at the yeah. time. Mm-hmm. Yes, that
3: played, like, gangbusters at the time
2: the line the price is wrong bitch was like something that i would like quote Mm -hmm. and i'm sure you heard yeah
3: yeah that was one of the most quoted adam sandler lines ever Mm -hmm.
2: yeah i think that's the kind of thing that we would expect to find in a lot of comedies but like at the time it was pretty shocking and funny so that was like when i think of this movie i always think of Bob barker first
1: yeah me too Mm
2: -hmm. let's talk more about julie bowen (laughs) because i know that we kind of want to Julie Bowen plays the director of public relations for the tour, which is already <laughs> yeah. not a sexy role, not a funny role. She's Hot.
1: 25 while filming this, looks 45. Hot PR action.
2: Hot in the context of 96, now very much not. Very much wearing Hillary Clinton-esque pantsuits and just like very 90s like
1: her hair is very princess diana yeah it
3: is so like spot on early 90s demure woman professionalized woman well this is 96 it is but i'm saying the fashion is very very early 90s and very like murphy brown
1: Mm, that's right she looks like like,
3: shoulder pads (laughs) like very deliberately masculinized features
1: yeah, she wears one cute outfit, like a cute dress Sorry. or something in this. And, I, and it was like a shock because the rest <laughs> of the movie, she's wearing like these matronly conservative looks. And I guess, okay, maybe that's the character. But like, again, why are you with Adam Sandler's character? There's no reason.
0: Oh my God, power failure. It's getting very scary in here.
1: Did you set this up? No. No. I thought we were going to be just friends.
0: What? Friends listen to Endless Love in the Dark?
1: And she's given nothing funny to do because there's one moment, I think in one of the fantasy sequences where she does like an extra funny like something with her body like physicality. And yeah, because
3: she's like wearing like really sexy lingerie and stuff in the fantasy yeah, sequences. But she does something
1: where, where like it's like a funny moment and I was like they didn't let her do anything else that was like funny. She's She's been on Modern Family. I'm sure she's been nominated for a bunch of Emmys. Like she can and act. I'll, she's I'll a comedic actress. It. I'll
3: attest to it. I used to watch Modern Family in the early seasons. She is very funny. She is a very funny comedic actress.
1: Yeah, she can do it.
2: I think you have to hand it to Julie Bowen to be in a movie about golf and be wearing the ugliest outfits
1: (laughs) it's not her fault
2: no it's not her fault yeah it is sad I don't think she has a single funny line in this movie like she's supposed to be the voice of reason and basically like every scene that she's in is the same beat where she's just like okay you can't hit anyone okay like and she's, like, exposition machine telling him, like, how the rules of the
3: tournament work. And it's just, like, you yeah. couldn't find any way to make that funny. She's an, she's an exposition machine, a fuddy-duddy, and also a sexual interest. Yeah. Like, it, it's incoherent. It's totally incoherent from the start. Again, lazy writing. makes yeah.
1: no sense why she'd be into him. Makes no sense. Is this movie supposed to be, like some people's favorite Sandler movie? Yes,
2: absolutely. People are very into this movie. Really? Yes. I mean, I think it's mostly nostalgia. (laughs) Yeah. I think Christopher McDonald is good in this. Like, he's often playing these smarmy, douchebag, jackass characters, and he's very good at that.
3: Like with Rob Lowe, I think he is... At least these movies know how to cast their assholes. Like, I, I do think he's genuinely great in this, and Shooter McGavin was... Probably my favorite character of this movie, like, when I was a kid, and definitely is involved in my favorite moments now, at least. He is so wonderfully me.
2: And Carl Weathers is fun. The fake hand jokes are amusing.
1: That hand is is not right that hand is not <laughs> that's and, and why it's I, funny i do I know, think I it know. is. i
3: do think it is funny i do think it's one of the undeniably funny things in this movie and yeah i mean like carl weathers has since weirdly enjoyed a renaissance thanks to his role in arrested development but i i think this movie was kind of the start of him leaning into comedy and i do think he does a very good job at, at the very limited role that he has
1: his character felt like he should have been in a Fairly Brothers movie.
3: I totally agree. I totally, like, he feels like he's in, like, Kingpin or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, for as like Billy Madison was not written
2: exceptionally well, but it felt like it had <laughs> sort of a control over its whole thing. And this feels very kind of like throwing spaghetti at the wall, and like some of it sticks, but like in general, it's like a very flimsy frame to hang a comedy on. And there's just like there's not enough to the characters, there's not enough to the story to like get away with like the wackiness of of the plot.
1: Let's move on to the Wedding Singer.
0: Hey, you're late.
1: I'm sorry. I just couldn't do it.
0: Well, if you need some more time, I guess I can wait. Oh, I don't need more time,
4: Robbie. I don't ever want to marry you.
0: Geez, you know, that information might have been a little more useful to me yesterday.
4: I've been talking to my friends the last couple of days.
0: All right, here it comes.
4: And I think I figured out what's been bothering me.
1: I'm not in love with Robbie now. I'm in love with Robbie six years ago.
0: Robbie, the lead singer of Final Warning. and I used
4: to come and watch you from the front row in your spandex pants, your silk shirt unbuttoned,
0: licking the microphone like David Lee Roth. I still got the spandex. I'll put them on right now. The point is, I woke up this morning and I realized I'm about to marry a wedding singer? I am never going to leave Ridgefield. Why do you need to leave Ridgefield? We grew up here. All our friends are here. It's the perfect place to raise a family. Oh, yeah. Living in your sister's basement with five kids while you're off every weekend doing wedding gigs at a whopping 60 bucks a pop? Once again, things that could have been brought to my attention yesterday!
1: The Wedding Singer was directed by Frank Karachi. He has worked with Sandler on a ton of his movies, including Click, The Waterboy, and Blended. The Wedding Singer was written by Tim Herlihy. The release date was February 13th, 1998. It stars Adam Sandler, Drew Barrymore, Christine Taylor, Woo! Matthew Glave, and Steve Buscemi. The budget was 18 million, and the box office was 123 million. Wow.
2: Actually, yeah, I did not realize it was that big of a hit. I did not know
3: that at all. Mm-hmm.
2: But this was the peak. I feel like he was ramping up in Billy Madison and Happy Gilmore, which I feel like were, like a lot of the movies we've discussed here, like bigger hits on VHS than they were at the box office. And I think by this point, everyone had caught up with those movies and were like really eager to see more
1: Sandler. So Hurley got married and he decided maybe there should be more female perspective in these movies. <laughs> There was also obvious chemistry between Sandler and Barrymore, and he realized that the previous movies did lack a female perspective, so they decided to add one in finally.
2: (laughs) So he listened to this podcast and then went back in time and made The Wedding Singer.
1: Carrie Fisher, who worked as a script doctor in Hollywood, she was brought on to make the female part more balanced, and Judd Apatow and Sandler also performed uncredited rewrites on the script.
2: Is Carrie Fisher or Judd Apatow hotter?
1: Carrie Fisher. Carrie Fisher. Sorry, every Judd. Time. Sorry, Sorry. Judd. It's going
3: to be Space Mom. Like, Judd's going to be on the losing end of all of this. Sorry, Judd.
1: Barrymore approached Sandler about working together on a film. She said that they were cinematic soulmates before they had even worked together. So she just felt a kinship with him. That
2: panned out for her.
1: Yeah. This movie had good reviews. <laughs>
2: what even from ebert
1: (laughs) nope not from ebert though (laughs) he gave the film a thumbs down god bless he was consistent he wrote one of the sad byproducts of the dumbing down of america is that we're now forced to witness the goofy plots of the 1930s played sincerely as if they were really deep however kevin thomas of the la times wrote in a very positive review A sparkling romantic comedy, the kind of picture that glides by so gracefully and unpretentiously that it's only upon reflection that you realize how much skill, caring, and good judgment had to have gone into its making. The Wedding Singer is about a wedding singer (laughs) named...
3: The (laughs) end. (laughs) A wedding singer.
1: The Wedding Singer is about a wedding singer named Robbie Hart. He is about to be married when he gets left at the altar by his bride, and he has a little bit of a breakdown. (laughs) At the same time, he starts working with Drew Barrymore. The two of them have an obvious attraction to each other, but she is about to get married and she's planning her wedding to her fiancé, who is kind of a distant guy. They grow closer and, you know, you you figure it out. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and it's in the 1980s. That's a big deal. So it's all okay. (laughs) So guys, uh, what did you think of watching The Wedding Singer?
4: Hi, nice to meet you. I'm Mrs. Glenn Guglia. Hello, it's nice to meet you. I'm Julia Guglia. Julia Guglia.
0: Right when I wake up in the morning, you're the first person that pops in my head, and I keep thinking about you over and over.
4: It's nice
3: to meet you Mrs. Julia (laughs) Of all of the movies that we're discussing in this episode, and also the other movies, the other Adam Sandler hits of the 90s that have been mentioned... This was the only one I never saw as a kid. Wow.
1: Yeah. Wait, did you never see it before?
3: Never saw it.
1: You've never seen this before?
3: Never seen this. Have you seen it before? I did not. (laughs) Oh, okay. But it was conveyed to me by all friends and all involved that this was the best Adam Sandler movie. This was very much held out apart from the pack. This was a more mature, grown-up Adam Sandler comedy. So I just kind of took that for granted and accepted that answer because I had long since already moved on from watching Adam Sandler things. And so I hadn't watched The Wedding Singer until preparing for this podcast episode. I don't see what all the hubbub was about, I thought Drew Barrymore's character was given very little to do in this movie. Some things about it I found funny. You know, it it included some characters that I might not have expected from other Adam Sandler movies. But I didn't really find it to be of a different quality. I didn't buy the romantic chemistry all that much. It's fine or whatever. They look like they're having fun, but I don't really necessarily buy them as a couple. I didn't find that much to be compelling about like a wedding singer and the job of being a wedding singer. I'm interested to hear how you two thought of this because I I didn't think very much of it for this being my first time. I award you zero points (laughs) and may God have mercy on your soul. It wouldn't be the first time you've told me that.
2: That's fine. This is the only Adam Sandler comedy that I do consider myself a fan of. I did also own this one on VHS and watched it more than Happy Gilmore, except when other people came over and made me watch that movie. Um. I don't think it's like a comedic <laughs> masterpiece. It's very like low key and more of a, just like a cute rom-com than it is like a hilarious comedy. But I feel like this is a, Perfect vehicle for Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore. I think it's kind of a perfect setting for a comedy, a wedding, like weddings are inherently ridiculous. And then adding the 80s, it's like you get like hideous fashion of weddings, hideous fashion of the 80s. You can combine those things. He gets to sing. So he's showing off like that aspect of his talent. And I do feel like this is a, a window into roles that he would later get, like Punch Drunk Love and even Uncut Gems of just like that he can play more of a real person he's not that broad in this movie there are moments where he is a little broader but in general like i get why my friends were crushing on him in this movie kind of just because it's like he's a little more charming and just like more of a real guy like i I get why drew barrymore likes him in this movie as opposed to like julie bowen and happy gilmore you know this guy is punching people out like that's just not someone that you fall for this guy seems fine are
0: you drinking too no it's Coca Cola you sure there's no rum in that coca-cola
4: i'm not a big drinker and if it was i'd be puking in there more than that kid
0: oh i don't think anybody could puke more than that kid i think i saw a boot come out of him
4: (laughs) you're the wedding singer
0: yeah how you doing i'm robbie
4: i'm julia i'm actually waitressing at your wedding next week
0: cool that's a beautiful ring you have there are you getting married soon
4: Actually, I don't know how serious the guy is who gave this to me. Right now, I feel like I'm doomed to wander the planet alone forever.
0: Oh, no. Kind of like the Incredible Hulk, huh?
4: Yeah. Only I'm not helping people.
0: Well, that's not true because I saw you inside. You were helping people. You were giving them uh, fish and coffee and forks. People can't eat without forks.
4: And they can't drink without a fish.
0: That's right. I think. What does that
4: mean? I don't know. You lost me back at the Hulk.
0: Hey. I
2: would like to note that this takes place in 1985 and was made in 1998, which means that if it were made today, it would be a blast of the past of the year 2010.
1: Don't you dare. Oh.
2: <laughs> and the nostalgic soundtrack yeah. would feature Katy Perry's California Girls, Kesha's TikTok, Lady Gaga's Telephone, Black Eyed Peas' I Got a Feeling, David gets a sexy bitch and trains Hazel's sister. I
1: don't like you anymore. <laughs> Please
2: get out. I don't like myself. Please leave. <laughs> That is, I mean, my other big takeaway from this is that more so than the movie by far, the soundtrack to this movie was hugely influential. It was two volumes like Romy and Michelle and it was packed with 80s music. Really? Oh, yes. And like the first time I heard a lot of this stuff, so Billy Idol, David Bowie's on there, like even maybe probably even more than Romy and Michelle, like had even bigger hits. So most of the 80s music that I know is from this movie. I went to an 80s concert a few weeks ago that had like Wing Chung, Belinda Carlisle, and musical youth there amongst others. And every song I was like, oh, I know this from The Wedding Singer or Romy and Michelle. Like that's the only context I had. And everyone who was there like genuinely because they were fans in the 80s like hated me (laughs) because I was only like knew it from like late 90s movie soundtracks instead of being there. But yeah, I mean, this was like a big gateway to songs like You Spin Me Around, like a record and songs that probably aren't even that prominently featured in the movie, some of them, because there's probably at least like 40 songs between the two. There are a lot, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I have a good time with this movie. I don't think it's a masterpiece, but I don't find it objectionable at all. And I find it like a very pleasant watch.
1: I saw this in theaters, but I don't think that I owned this. I'm not sure, which means probably not. Haven't watched this in a very long time. I love this movie. Yay! (laughs) What? I love it. I had such a good time watching this movie. I am shocked how much I like this movie. I might go buy it now.
2: Yay!
1: I was just taken in by this movie. I love Adam Sandler in this movie. I have a crush on him because of this movie. Like, he is the straight man in this movie. And when he goes, like, big and crazy, it's actually part of the plot (laughs) like he has a different personality because something bad happens and then he's reacting to that thing
2: motivated by something yeah Yeah. it's
1: motivated by his fiance leaving him at the altar
2: and it's triggered also specifically by like seeing other people in love yes it's like it's not like he's just beating up people on the street happy gilmore just like goes off for no
1: reason yeah i love him in this movie I find them to have insane chemistry. They're both kooky and quirky, and they meet in a very realistic way. They both just seem right together. Like, I just think they completely work. Their characters, their vibes, like, as like, two people that are into each other. I find this movie to be actually really funny. Like, the Somebody Kill Me song, I remember putting it on playlists back in the day. Like, that would be the thing that I really took away from this movie back in the day, was that song. But this time i literally rewound it and watched that scene again i thought it was so funny and like i couldn't get that song out of my head for like a week i loved it i found it to be just like a real story and yeah of course you know from the second they meet they're gonna get together like so there's no tension but i just found drew to be extremely charming i like her hair (laughs) It's, like, really kooky, but, like, not terribly, like, crazy 80s. Like, they kind of did that for Christine Taylor's character. Very
2: 80s. Very Madonna-inspired.
1: Yeah. And, oh, I miss Christine Taylor. I miss her. I do, too. Where is she? I
3: do, too. Like, yeah. I always enjoyed her. In the same way I enjoyed, like, Cameron Diaz and, like, Christina Applegate. Like, where are these blondes of comedy?
2: I wanted, Where have they gone? I want to just commend Sandler on his invocation of blondes all blondes <laughs> across these movies. Yeah. We got two blondes in this movie. L-
1: later, Sandler is brunettes with Idina Menzel. <laughs> a yeah. Few times, but, but... But he, at the time, he
3: employed a panoply of blondes. Yes. And I get him and Drew Barrymore more than I get him in almost all his other pairings. I get that.
1: Yeah. I don't know what else to say. I just found this movie a delightful watch. And I found the funny parts actually funny. And I really enjoyed it Like it was A very easy watch And it made me happy Do you not think That there might be Some nostalgia Involved in this? I don't know But I haven't seen it In forever And this isn't a movie that I watched over and over and over. So
2: it was pretty fresh. I mean, there's always that question, but I think this one holds up way better as a film. To me, actually, Ebert's review was surprising because he mentioned the films of the 30s. And that's exactly what I started thinking of was just like, this is a very simple plot, but it's all just driven by sort of like, she's engaged, but he likes her, but are they going to get together? And it's like, there's not A lot of complication to it and there aren't a ton of like other things going on like this plot is very straightforward but it it just felt very classic to me and very simple and I liked that it was kind of like low stakes and just like lightly amusing like throughout versus like going for like huge like set pieces like there's a few kind of kooky characters who come in like they kind of do in other Adam Sandler movies but like Steve Buscemi is like great in this movie like when he pops in like he's always a nice spice and the rapping granny, I feel like, is, like, pretty funny.
3: And there was a moment where the naughty old granny uh, serves some meatballs in his hands. Yeah. And I randomly found that very funny.
2: Very funny, yeah. So there's a lot of, like, great little character moments. And I feel like... More so than some of the other movies we watch in this very prestigious series. <laughs> Adam Sandler movies make a lot of room for other people to shine and mm-hmm. even sometimes maybe steal the scene, you know? Like he's not always like the comic centerpiece right. of it. I and mean, I like that because like the these little touches are often the things that you really come away remembering, like these side characters. Why are-
4: of course, I'm gonna hire him. Not only is he your best friend, but he's the only limo driver in town.
0: Yeah, I just like having fun with
4: Okay. Wow. Look at him go.
0: Better move it, man. You're not gonna make it. You hit two cones. Those could have been people. Those could have been guests at her wedding.
1: They were cones. Yeah, this movie especially and also his other ones, he's the straight man. And he populates his movie with like crazy people around him. And I find that kind of nice that he wants to share the spotlight. But man, after watching so much of his SNL and and then Billy Madison and then just I watched so much Sandler this <laughs> week. And then like he's the movie started and he didn't do anything crazy. And I was like, Oh,
3: <laughs> you like were able to exhale. He's
2: not singing about <laughs> shampoo and conditioner. He didn't and make a stupid theme.
1: voice. Like he's just talking like a person. <laughs> like. I was just like, oh, my God, this is such a breath of fresh air.
2: I mean, we've done three of these episodes now, and (laughs) a lot of the movies have had a very similar tone and style of humor, and I think this one is a relief (laughs) after Black Sheep and certain other films.
1: Yeah, honestly, and I'd love to hear what your pick is, but, like, this was my favorite movie of all three of these episodes that we've done. I mean, I, I still enjoy Wayne's World, but, like, this was the top. For me,
2: I'm going with Austin Powers, the first movie slash the second movie, but mostly the first one. But this would be a second, I think, after that.
3: I mean, I, I would say the first Austin Powers above all others.
2: Did you like this more than the other two Adam Sandler movies, though?
3: I certainly liked Wedding Singer more than the other two Adam Sandler movies. Okay. And I definitely liked it more than Black Sheep. <laughs> well... But again, it's a low bar. I do genuinely think that Adam Sandler found a deeper acting style, a different way to embody characters. And I think he is definitely, like, his performance in this is undeniably miles away from... Billy Madison. From Billy Madison and Happy (laughs) Gamora.
2: How does it compare to Canteen Boy, though?
3: (laughs) (laughs) It's no Canteen Boy, I'll tell you that much. It's the least worst, my least hated Adam Sandler vehicle that we're talking about in this episode, at least. (laughs)
1: Least hated, I'll take
3: it. (laughs) faint praise (laughs) and i did like the soundtrack i love 80s music and it does do a good job of pulling a lot of a lot from that time i think it's
2: interesting like this was really early in 80s nostalgia like this is Mm -hmm. one of the first Mm -hmm. if not the first the fact that this was like calling back to the 80s was a big deal that was a big selling point of this movie Mm -hmm. and i think it's interesting that we're still there We're still, like, in the, like, let's go back to the 80s, like, isn't this fun nostalgia? This is old enough for us to be nostalgic for this movie, and yet we haven't really moved on. There's a lot of nostalgia for the 90s now, but it's like, I would say the 80s is still more of a thing.
3: And a lot of the 90s was a regurgitation, reinterpolation of 80s culture. I wanted to give credit to Adam Sandler for casting Alexis Arquette in this movie. Other comedy movies weren't really casting actors who were gender non-conforming in any way and so in terms of representation i felt like this was kind of something that was slightly ahead of its time and alexis arquette was really fucking rad Uh,
1: but also he wasn't the the butt of the joke
3: but all the crowds you know alexis arquette's character is always performing boy george songs but
1: that's the joke not that oh look at that you know gender queer person It was, he won't stop singing that one song. Right. But everyone
3: (laughs) hated her as soon as she was performing
1: wait is it he or her
3: i think she went by her i think she went by female pronouns. i think she did that later
2: but in this
1: movie i don't think so
3: so i don't know but you refer the practices to refer to them by the last pronouns they had
1: i'm just going from the character i guess the george character is seen as as weird as everybody else in adam sandler's corticopia of strange people but they weren't, like, calling him the F-word or something. Like, like, they're laughing at him because it's funny that he won't stop singing this one song. And I felt like that was more progressive than it otherwise would have been.
3: Yeah, and I don't think the movie singles that character out for particular ridicule. So in general, I thought, like, the wedding singer
2: was kind of an interesting bridge into him at least not having to do a voice during his (laughs) characters. (laughs) Becky sent us some clips of his, like, recent more recent award speeches mostly around like uncut gems and i thought it was interesting he did voices for most of those acceptance speeches too
1: yeah but i think that it's he's in on the joke you know
2: is but it still is very much like a crutch for him not so much in movies i don't think he does that in movies very often anymore but
1: it's funny because he's getting a a fancy award and he's doing a stupid voice i think he knows that it's funny like
2: i agree like i I, they were great speeches like I think you saw us three and yeah,
1: they were they're, they're all great. They're
3: really yeah. They're I, really good. I
1: truly recommend you put in Adam Sandler acceptance speech because honestly, like I have not been like up to date with him for many, many years. Like I'm not I've never seen grown-ups or no. you know, I'm I'm just kind of like tuned out. And then he I saw him in Uncut Gems and liked his performance and he started winning stuff and just, you know, being relevant again, I guess. And those acceptance speeches made me be like, should I like revisit Sandler? Like, this is legit funny.
2: Yes, please go watch all the grown movies. movies. <laughs> yeah. Just go with it. Murder, Mystery, 51st uh, Dates. <laughs> I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry. Le- You're going to. You're going to be doing a lot of work if you really You got to click on to
3: click, Becky. Oh,
2: you got to click on click. I thought it would be interesting just to like wrap up kind of thoughts overall on like all three of these guys since they obviously started in a very similar place in terms of SNL that was like their big platform for getting recognition in America, but went very different places, and and I think their careers are all very different. Obviously Chris Farley's was cut short, so we don't have all the information on, on what would have happened there, but in contrast to them, I felt like Sandler's comedy doesn't seem to come so much from, like, a pathology. Like, there's not <laughs> an underlying sadness or insecurity to him, really. He seems like a well-adjusted person. Like, you see it in those speeches. Like, he seems like a nice guy. And then obviously like, he has had a more successful dramatic career which it feels like it could still even be ramping up a lot like we don't really know what he's gonna do but like he's been he did paul thomas anderson's punch dark glove in like 2002 i believe it was 2002 yeah and that was an early indication that he could do something else. But like more recently, he's done like Uncut Gems. He's done Hustle.
3: Funny People. I think had more of a serious. Yeah, series. the
1: Meyerwitz stories, which I never saw. Yeah, he was really one. good
3: in that. He was really good in that. I do have to say that I have gained a lot of love for Adam Sandler as a dramatic actor. It's crazy. I'm obviously a huge Paul Thomas Anderson devotee, but even by that metric, like I particularly love punch Drunk Love. The soundtrack to that meant a lot to me, but the movie itself meant a lot to me, too. And it's inseparable from his performance. His performance, I think, makes that movie along with the soundtrack of that movie by John Bryan. I think it is a huge turning point. I think Wedding Singer definitely was part of that as well. But I agree with you. I don't know if we've seen, like, the full extent of the dramatic Sandler-verse. He can be
2: channeled really well. And, like, there are filmmakers like Paul Thomas Anderson, the Safdie brothers, Noah Baumbach, who know exactly how to channel his particular energy. Like, I'm not sure you want him playing every kind of dramatic role, but those were really good choices for him and his skills, and they all had, like, a clear vision. So, in general, I mean, like, my overall thoughts on the three... Where Mike Myers seems like the one who takes like really big swings with things, and they have early on, especially those paid off humongously. He's like very much a like creator of his comedy. Like he needs to really be kind of hands on, and like is very much into like creating the character and like coming into movies. Like sometimes he'll even like so I married an axe Murder. Like he threw out a lot of stuff and like wanted to rebuild it in his own image. Created one of the greatest comedy franchises of the past 30 years, I think, in Austin Powers, just in terms of, like, cultural influence, at least.
3: And I think he very studiously and deliberately avoided a turn toward more dramatic roles. Like I really do think especially again just watching so much of his shit in one little stretch it's very clear that he could have taken that path. You know he might still be able to but it very much seems like he has chosen not to try to make that like pivot that other people have coming out of that show.
2: And he seems kind of uncomfortable with it and a little like Sandler like he kind of feels like he has to a shtick when he's being dramatic like he he's not comfortable playing like just like a Mike Myers like guy
1: but I don't think Adam Sandler has that problem anymore. No, he doesn't
2: anymore. I don't, yeah, yeah, it's more like that yeah. was his early crutch, but like Adam Sandler moves off from it, and I'm not sure that Mike Myers has. Like, he really hasn't played a character that's just like a guy, you know? Like, mm-hmm. he's always doing an accent or something.
3: Well, and also, though, I think Adam Sandler's had the chances to explore kind of not doing a shtick, but like, finding a particular embodiment of a character. Like, I think in Uncut Gems, I'm pretty sure he has fake teeth, yeah. and he has a particular accent in that movie that isn't his real-life accent. He just
2: borrowed Austin Powers' teeth, I
3: guess, actually. <laughs> no, but, like, he does take on these kind of external things that, that affect his performance, but he's had that time and just had the mileage now to truly embody these roles in incredibly dramatic movies. Weirdly, I feel very optimistic for where Adam Sandler could go from here, not necessarily being the hugest fan of his comedy. You know, like, it's been very exciting to see the kind of growth of his ability as a performer.
1: I think it's funny, though, that all the performances that we really like have not been from his own movies that he has had a hand in writing and producing. I don't think he knows how to use himself the way that another director does.
3: I think that's very, very insightful. Absolutely. Right, yeah.
2: He has had longevity in his career. Like unlike Mike Myers who really like had a big big 90s and then kind of <laughs> downslid a lot and his later attempts have not been as successful and mostly he does cameos and stuff now. But like Mike Myers ideas are so big. Like there's a lot behind them. Like he's very conceptual in
3: terms he of He creates whole worlds at a time.
2: Yeah, like the spoof of the 60s and spy genre or even Wayne's World is very like meta and breaking the fourth wall like there was a lot of ideas put into that and Sandler stuff it's kind of like oh that idea yeah let's do that like it's very it's like low high concept like there's kind of a high concept behind it but it's not (laughs) even that fully developed
1: Yeah, he sounds like a person who's more into output. Like, hey, I want to hang out with my friends. I want to give him a paycheck. You got a good idea? Let's do that idea. You know, as opposed to Mike Myers seems to be like, I need to create this like whole character and this whole world and it's my baby.
3: And he doesn't put anything out until he's created that character, until he has built that world.
1: Yeah, like, Adam Sandler's just like, it's Tuesday, let's, let's film something. Yeah. <laughs> Literally.
3: And, and you know, like, in the years since it's come out, that is very much the way that Adam Sandler approaches making movies. Like, he, like, sails around on his yacht most of the year, <laughs> has his friends, like, come on crazy vacations with him, including Paul Thomas Anderson. Um, but then we'll just, you know, kind of spitball and come up with, like, okay, what are we going to do next?
2: And, like, on that note, it seems like he is by far the easiest person to work with of these three.
1: He seems um, like a great guy. Yeah. He
2: seems
3: like a gr- a really great friend. Like, because, yeah, he has been beyond loyal to the people he came up with, really.
2: hmm Yeah. I'm sure Chris Farley was difficult to work with if only just because of, like, his addiction issues. Like, he was particularly late in his career, like, more unreliable. And also, I think, had a lot of insecurity and just, like hadn't quite found out like what his like voice as a movie actor was even going to be like he was kind of not picking the best of roles
3: and then also just very much stretched thin by just the studio side of it all and like the business side of it all really forcing his hand on a lot of things like I don't think he ever had the time and the opportunity to really see where he could go in movies yeah and then Mike Myers seems like he might be kind of difficult
2: to to work with and and didn't necessarily make a lot of friends on the projects that he worked on. So yeah, I I do think that even though we obviously grouped these three guys into one bucket of the celluloid man children... (laughs) (laughs) you know of the 90s and and your movie output like there's definitely like a through line between wayne's world and billy madison and tommy boy they're all like slacker kind of characters juvenile like kind of goofy humor and yet their careers went in very different places and they're very different performers with very different strengths and on screen and off i think so overall who is your mvp of these three guys inclusive of everything that they've done uh, I'm strapping now and movie. Roles. This
1: is tough because Farley wins for SNL, but not for movies. <laughs> yeah. And I loved The Wedding Singer, but hated the other two <laughs> movies. <laughs> Sandler, this is tough. I don't think I have an answer.
2: You can include Uncut Gems, Punch Drunk Love, like their whole
1: careers. No. Why not?
2: Just MVP overall of like who's career. Sandler. Okay.
1: Yeah. Because. He's had more. He's done more than Mike Myers has and and more than Chris Farley. So, yeah.
3: Seth. I have to split the hair, okay? So, like, for me, it's Farley for SNL and Mike Myers for movies. But what if you had to choose, like, overall? If just... If I had to choose just one, it's Mike Myers Okay. on the strength of both movies and SNL. I mean, I definitely clearly liked more Mike Myers characters than you two did, you know? But again, just on the strength of the movies, Mike Myers created two or three very, very successful film franchises that are still known to this day. And Adam Sandler is like became a theatrical juggernaut which is crazy to me but again he didn't stand out enough in these movies or on SNL to really edge either of the other two out.
2: Black Sheep I think is the worst movie we've ever covered on (laughs) this podcast. I just have to say that before we end this. I think
3: it's up there or down there I guess. (laughs) It's
2: a real black mark. Anyway for me it is Mike Myers but... It almost was a little tempting to choose Sandler because I feel like Sandler's kind of, in a weird way, still on the rise. Like, he could do anything, could be in more great—I loved Uncut Gems, so he could be in something like that again. It doesn't seem super likely that Mike Myers will, like, pop back like he could, but it feels like he's kind of cool with, like, what he did and he's easing off of it. So he peaked early and, and hasn't done anything in the last 20 years. Sandler only has gotten better with Mm -hmm. time. Like, I would not have said this even, like, after one Punch Drunk Love, I was just like, okay, you, you did it once, but like, whatever. Right. But he's, now he's, like, doing it again, so I'm like, I okay. remember liking
1: him in Spanglish, and that was, like, a while oh, ago, no. too. Sure. I did. Oh, come on. And that was, like, James L. Brooks or something? Yes. Mm-hmm. What? I liked it. <laughs> I haven't seen it since, but I remember liking him in it. Yeah, that was more snobbery
2: against James L. Brooks than anything else. I think he was good in it, from what I remember. I would need to watch it again to see how the film holds up. Yeah, I don't
1: but know if the film holds up.
2: Yeah, I'm gonna go with Mike Myers overall, just Just because I I think he's like, especially since we're talking comedy in these movies, Sandler's comedies, with the exception of The Wedding Singer, I think have not hit the bar or have barely hit the bar. And Mike Myers, some of his stuff was like all-timer
3: stuff. And that's all the Sandman we have time to enter on this episode of When We Were Young. On our very next episode...
1: We'll be taking a look back at the horror comedy, Death Becomes Her, starring Goldie Hawn, Meryl Streep, and Bruce Willis. And Isabella Rossellini. And a big hole in someone's stomach.
3: The When We Were Young podcast is a production of the MFP Studio Studio in Los Angeles, California. If you've enjoyed this, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else you get your podcast product. And review and rate us five stars so more people will hear the show. You can follow us on all social medias and suggest future episodes, and you can contribute to us on Patreon at patreon.com slash young, so that we can continue bringing you episodes of this podcast entirely for free. I've been Seth. I have been Becky. And I'm Crazy Podcast
2: Man. I've got opinions about 80s and 90s movies. Now give me some candy.
1: (laughs) Where was this? You put more effort into that than any.
3: (laughs) I didn't know we were all doing (laughs) voices for these episodes. That was more gumption and accent than any other thing. The Austin Powers.
1: It's a (laughs) lot easier to do an Adam
2: Sandler than it is to do an Austin Powers.
0: glad with what you've done to me I lay in bed all day long feeling melancholy you left me here all alone tears running constantly
3: oh somebody kill
0: me please somebody kill me please
4: I liked it.